Hey everyone, welcome back to the Shea Station Podcast. No Zoom call today, which is nice and refreshing for me. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jack A.K. Jolly. Joining me at my desk is Jerry Blevins, who is in New York, here to recap a Mets Series 1 with me. Jerry, how are you doing? Uh, I'm happy to be here, I'll tell you that. This is a, a much better way to not only hang out with my friends, but to record a podcast. I agree. And we know. didn't get a sweep this time, which is nice. <laughs> that yeah. does help. Would have been a bummer. Yeah, that would have been back-to-back uh, bums. Mm. So I was at City Field twice this weekend Brag. for the festivities. Bragadocious. I have to brag a little bit. Uh, do it. Mets fans were awesome this weekend. I need to find the guy who gave me my first ever free hot dog on the cold Saturday afternoon. He was such a nice guy. Uh, we, we had a nice five-minute conversation as I was waiting in that hot dog line. Uh, and I didn't get his name. So if you're listening to this podcast... DM me. Let's talk about life So again. did you get a free hot dog or did he buy you a hot dog? It was dog? one of those situations where he was like, yeah, this one's on the house. And I kind of laughed it off. And then he was like, you know, dressing it up. And then he handed it to me. And I was like, I had my card in my hand. He was like, no, this one's on the house. And I was like. That's amazing. Humanity is beautiful. Did you take it? and threw it on the <laughs> ground. That's what I think of a free hot dog. <laughs> uh, it was a great weekend. That's, uh, I was at the two wins. So I'm 2-0 and this year. So they have to start sending me to every game is what I learned. Uh, and Bad. yeah, Mets look good, you know, except for that last game, which we'll talk about. Francisco Alvarez is up with the club. A lot of exciting stuff there. Uh, I think we'll dive into this recap as you're down. I'm ready. Uh, before we do, Jerry, you know who I got to tell you about? I do know. I got to tell you about DraftKings. The people who helped me win a nice parlay this weekend on my Congrats. Kodai Senga parlay. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, baseball season is in full swing, guys. Whether you're rooting for the home team or betting on your favorite player, DraftKings Sportsbook has got you covered on all the season's action. New customers can place a $5 pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets. If your team wins, spread that bonus bet money on a same-game parlay like I did. I did Mets money line, Kodai Senga for five strikeouts. Nice, easy thing. Got me a couple extra bucks. And you can boost your winnings with each leg added up to 100%. Join the action now at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app and use code SHEA, S-H-E-A. New customers bet $5 on any pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets if that bet cashes. Only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and any resources you might need for a gambling addiction or gambling problem are listed down below. As always, Jerry, are you ready to hear me talk for like four more minutes? <laughs> this this is the best part of my job to listen to you. Just kick back and drink your coffee, man. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Hit that music that Jerry can hear now. Oh, that's nice. There it is. It was kind of a cold weekend because we canceled the game on the nicest day of the week for some reason. But the Mets so, got to play. In it was a perfect day. I was out in the city enjoying it. Continue, Instead, sorry. we played on Friday in an overcast day, and the Mets looked good. They drew seven walks through two and two-thirds innings pitched for that voted Marlins pitching staff that we always hear about, including a bases-loaded walk to Mark Canna. Vogelback made it a 2-0 game with his first hit of the day, an RBI single in the third, stalling Marte homers in back-to-back Mets home openers to make Make it a 4-0 game in the sixth. Tyler McGill, he was the story in this one. And you know me, I was hooting and hollering in the crowd because that's my guy. Six innings pitch, no earned runs, three strikeouts, no home runs on 88 pitches with eight whiffs. He was great. He allowed a base runner in each of the first four innings, then tightened it up in the fifth and sixth. So we love that. The Mets got even more walks later on. Two walks and a hit by pitch in the seventh, loaded the bases. They were able to tack on two more runs. The Marlins pitching staff had 12 walks in this game and a hit by pitch. Four of those went to Brandon Nimmo. He had his first career four-walk game. I loved it. Dennis Santana, he allowed the Marlins to creep back into the game a little bit with a three-run homer to Garrett Cooper, who's becoming a new Mets killer. 
but the Mets put it away with home runs from Lindor and Alonso to make up the three runs and put the game out of reach. The Mets are now 11-4 in home openers at City Field. How about that? So they win game one. They go into game two. I'm there again. It's even colder than the day before somehow. And the first inning was similar to the game prior. A walk, a single, and a hit by pitch. Set up another bases loaded walk, this time for Jeff McNeil. Pete Alonso, who's on a tear, he's got the major league lead for home runs right now with five. He homers for the second day in a row. It gives the Mets a 3-0 cushion in the fifth inning. Uh, the rest of the Mets team combined, five home runs. Pete Alonso by himself, five home runs. He's sixth all-time in the Mets home run list now, if you can believe that. Kodai Senga, though, he was the story in this start. He dominates the Marlins for the second time in a row. Six innings pitch, one earned run, six strikeouts, only the one home run allowed to Jazz Chisholm. He got 12 whiffs on that ghost fork. He looked great, struck out the side in the second inning. It was all Kodai Senga once again. City Field did a really nice job dressing up the ghost fork and using fun animations to get the crowd involved. And I even saw a Senga shirt in the crowd too, which was awesome. I've gone way over my time. Clearly, after getting robbed twice, Eduardo Escobar finally breaks out of his slump with a two-run homer in the seventh. The Marlins rallied for two, but the Mets bullpen was able to put it away behind John Curtis and David Robertson. Thank you very much, Jack, for re-rolling the music. <laughs> As we get on to Game 3, the Mets are going for a sweep, and Francisco Alvarez is the story of this one. He finally gets a start in the final game of the series, and he gets the scoring started for the Mets with an RBI single in the second, but that came after a Brian De La Cruz three-run homer off Cookie Carrasco, who we're going to talk a lot about, because it was once again not a great outing for him. Four and two-thirds innings pitched, six earned runs allowed, three walks, two home runs, only three whiffs, and he did sit a little low on the velocity again. We'll will be all over that. Starling Marte in the first inning doubled, stole third, and then had to exit the game with a strained neck. Hopefully he's just day to day. Steven Nagosik in kind of a blowout game saved the Mets bullpen with three and a third innings, a career high 52 pitches. They'll, they'll be ready to go for the Padres tonight. Uh, the Mets got a base runner on in each of the first six innings of this game. They only scored twice. That was kind of the whole story as the Marlins pitching were able to keep them at bay. They went hitless and walkless in the last four innings against the bullpen. They would lose this one seven to two, but they ultimately take the series against the Marlins, and they end up uh, going five and two against them in their first ten games. So that's all. That's all good stuff. The Mets get a series win in their first home series of the year. I'd say it was a successful home opener I think series. So too. Um, man, uh, I really enjoyed McGill's performance. Oh, I thought yeah. he. I thought he stepped up and with undue pressure upon him because of how in flux the rotation has been right. uh, still the biggest question mark something that came in as the the reason for such high expectations um they've been like the shakiest part um but he's been great for two starts i mean he was supposed to be the triple a opening starter yeah and instead he's got a, a one dot era just in filling in for verlander doing yeah. it admirably i mean it's something worth talking about because we got a positive report on verlander who yep. said he expects to be back by the end of the month as like a worst case scenario you got to start talking about who's going to get bumped because there's only going to be five spots and i don't think the answer is as clear cut as it used to be uh I agree. I think that's a a good segue before we get into the series, but I, I think that's something that we can touch upon after if you Definitely. want to get into it, Definitely. like well, how that teaser. makes up. Yeah, a little teaser. A little teaser. Look at this. We're yeah. veterans. There's too much good stuff to talk about, though, yeah, before we get in. to all that conflicting stuff. One thing I want to say that's not related to any of the games, uh, the Mets did a great job with the Edwin Diaz introduction. We were all kind of wondering, where is Edwin? Is he at home? Is he still rehabbing? They introduced the whole lineup, and then they said, there's one more teammate we have to announce. He got to come out last to the trumpets. It was really touching. It was kind of like a really bittersweet moment because it was, you know, the New York faithful 
cheering louder than they had for any other player for a guy that they were booing relentlessly, you know, three years ago. So it was yeah. a nice moment. Uh, up until that, the the loudest cheer. So this is one thing you always listen for when you're on the field. Right. The loudest cheer up until that point was like the executive sous chef <laughs> <laughs> that they announced. It was hilarious. I was like, oh, he's that, that's who killed it. Uh, but then Edwin Diaz uh, yeah. got a got a roaring ovation, uh, and it was it had a touch of you know like bittersweet melancholy to it. Right. Um, uh, it did for him too. I, it was heartwarming, but knowing that he's not capable of pitching. Uh, he's such a good guy, so yeah. it was nice to to get a little bit of warmth and recognition from the crowd. Definitely agree. It wouldn't have felt the same if he wasn't there. And it helped that the Mets offense came out and they won that game, especially scoring nine runs after the poor showing they had in the <laughs> Brewer series. But most of that was just, you know, taking their walks and being patient. Yeah, yeah. That's uh again, this is what they do. Yeah. They did it great. Um there are some deeper concerns moving forward about that style of play because there's not every pitcher kind of does that. Yeah. But they they did it against the Marlins again. Yeah. And I mean, if you know, they're not gonna throw you strikes, you gotta take them. I understand that. I think it's really interesting that Brandon Nimmo, um, not off to a, a crazy good start to the year. Um, he's only five for twenty six to this point. Does it has one extra base hit. He has ten walks on the season already, which leads the big leagues. Uh, so 192 batting average, but a 421 on base, which I think is silly. Yeah, I mean, that's what you get in small sample sizes, but he's looked good at the plate. Yeah. Um, he's taken good swings. Uh, he, that one extra base hit was a left on left. Yeah. Uh, good slider that he went down in a pivotal point in the opening series. Um, but I like what I've seen uh, from a lot of the guys, especially Nemo. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about the pitching because there's two big outings we can jump to. Do you want to talk about Tyler or do you want to talk about Kodai? Let's talk about Tyler real quick because we already so. touched upon it. Uh, he did great. He looked really good. Um, it's still, let's see. I don't. I don't want to sound negative. I'm not being negative at sure. all. He only had three strikeouts yeah. in six innings pitched against the Marlins, but he pitched really well. It wasn't like swing and miss stuff, but he filled the zone, made them put the ball in play, um, made some big pitches when he when he needed to. Right. He he established his fastball in the zone and then threw his secondary pitches off of that. Very impressed. Yeah, I definitely agree. And he's not needing the overpowering velocity that he had last year because he was sitting at 94 in his fastball, which is down from 96 where he was last year. And he still looks really comfortable out there. I think he uh, had composure as the game went on, which was important to me because, you know, that fifth and sixth inning is where we've seen him fall apart so many times. And to go six up, six down in those two innings was great. I know he's facing, you know, the Marlins twice in a row, which is a tougher thing to do when the lineup is familiar with you after that first start. Uh, but he really only used three pitches. We didn't see the curveball very much. He was fastball, slider, change, and he looked great out there. He only threw one curveball. Just and the one. It yeah. was the last pitch of the game to get a big strikeout of Jazz. It's a good spot to throw. Yeah, that's what he talks about. So you you said he looked poised out there, and he did. That was the biggest takeaway for me. I think the velocity will come back up to about average 96, yeah. um, but I don't think he needs it. I think he's pitching well enough without it. Um, but it would be nice for him to be able to reach back when he needs to go to the fastball and, and and dip back into that velocity. But he looked in control on the mound the entire time, which was a big cry from where he was at points in spring training. Yeah. And that's what you want to see from a young pitcher, to develop confidence on the mound and, and security in what they're doing. Again, big shout-out to Tomas Nito, mm. who's – you know, Omar Narvaez, I've really liked the way he fit in early. I really love the way he's handled the pitching staff. Yeah. Watching him catch, he's the kind of guy that 
that I would love to throw to because you can tell he's done his homework and he'll like when he's setting up he'll like give you little little gestures and signals like hey really confident mm. like boosting so he's going to be a, a bigger absence I think than than what we thought but Nito's filled in great um he knows this pitching staff this is where you know there's a lot of calls including from myself where we want Alvarez to be in the lineup right. but number one is being able to handle this this pitching staff um and I think Nito is going to to carry the bulk and let Alvarez unless he starts going off they're gonna right. they're gonna find him away I mean I think we know what we're gonna get offensively from Nito at this point in his career mm-hmm. but I think the more important piece is exactly what you said because this starting rotation is what is built to succeed on this team and it hasn't so far and we need them to be stable as we go through the motions of the season the Mets are probably going to get their toughest challenge yet with the Padres coming to town uh, for their next series and I expect Nito to probably get the bulk of playing time in that series as well even though I kind of feel similarly to you that we should give Alvarez as much run as we can even if he's a DH against lefties whatever Um, but Nito looked really comfortable with Kodai Senga again, which was nice. Uh, Senga looked great, even better than his first start, in my opinion. Uh, Agreed. And I know, and you know, it's the same thing facing the same team twice in a row. But home crowd didn't phase him at all in that first inning. Uh, I don't think his legs were ghosts again, which was nice. And, <laughs> I like his uh, sense just looked of humor. Good. Had a lot of zip. Yeah, um, you mentioned it with McGill facing the same team the second time. Anytime, um, anytime a hitter has seen you it's an advantage to the hitter because he'd seen the ball come out of your hand more yeah. he sees the shape of your breaking balls mcgill did a good job of switching up his pitch mix um i think it was more not just because he's facing the same team but because he was more c- comfortable throwing the way he did the second time right. but that's we get into kodai yeah kodai look great he, yeah he gave up two singles in the first got into a little bit of a jam but he pitched his way out looked fantastic and i thought it was really interesting because we saw him you know we we saw him lean on his signature pitch in his first start because he needed to find something he was able to find the ghost fork and then really cruise throughout the rest of the start this time i think he looked more comfortable because he was spreading out his pitch mix like really evenly outside of his four seamer he was 18 sweepers 16 cutters and then 16 fork balls obviously most of the whiffs came on the ghost fork because that's pretty natural at this point but still six whiffs on his four seam he sat he maxed out at 98 on his four seamer as well so i think he felt a little bit of the home crowd adrenaline that maxed out 99 in miami oh did he yeah i didn't have that in my book so he he throws he throws hard and i mentioned this to you before we started going but i think i don't know if this was a happy accident or the mets just set it up well but kodai has a nice month of april based on the way that the rotations laid out he's going to miss the padres this series and he's going to get the a's after in the coliseum so i think they're easing him in really well with these two marlin starts and he has the a's after that he'll probably get a bigger challenge either facing i think the dodgers or the giants the week after yeah i think it just i think it's a happy accident probably not because with buck showalter and and he's half are, yeah, half the, the, these guys don't have accidents for the most part when right. it comes to planning. Uh, but it is a good thing for him to to get his feet wet, get a get a good leap moving forward, yep. and they get a sense that that he can handle, you know, the the rigors of being a major league pitcher. So, and then there was one starting pitching performance that you know bears some attention, even though for the wrong reasons, and that was Carlos Carrasco, who. Looked slow on his fastball again. Kind of never really got to settle in fully after a shaky first inning. And then uh, didn't complete five innings again here. Uh, I know it's only two starts. You know, we have a really small sample size, like you said before. But it is cause for concern, I think, at this point. That Cookie, you know, we haven't seen him really blow anyone away. His his breaking pitches don't really have the zip that we kind of saw in the middle of last year. 
Uh, how worried are you on a scale of one to ten for Carlos Carrasco right now? Ten being uh, get him scared. out of here, scared, doesn't have um, it anymore. Four and a half. Mm. So I am concerned. Okay. Uh, only, only in the context that if the other spots in the rotation were cruising, yeah, you know, if Max was Max, if Verlander was back, um, you know, with Quintana being gone, so Peterson is still, you know worried in the sense that there's going to be a lot of pressure on him yeah. to perform fast because because of the instability of everybody else so I think he'll be fine I really do he hasn't had the control of his change up his split change his ghost fork mm, if would, you will yeah his phantasma tenador and <laughs> I think something like that but uh he he doesn't there there's just not as much breathing room for him to to right. If you stumble out of the gate, there's the magnifying glasses right on him right now. Um, I do think he'll be fine, but uh, if he has another hiccup, if he's not as sharp again, um, it's the the it's gonna the pressure is gonna be even more on him. But yeah, I think so too. And it's you know I, there's still that pitcher in there that we saw last year that was honestly uh, really good for the Mets and he was, very much needed for the Mets. He was the the you know, the pulse, the stable force right. that was the whole season. He was what Quintana was going to be this year. That's what he was last year. Right. He was just two times through the lineup. I'm going to get you some strikeouts. We're going to, you know, I'm going to give up zero to three runs yeah. and give you guys a chance to win. And so he's had a few hiccups that, that with the home runs and, and he's just not getting the swings and misses in a smaller sample size than you were hoped for. Again, it's early. Yeah. Um, so it just it just there's there's pressure on him for real to to start performing. He the third time through, if it's the same, and he hasn't made any any bit of progress, uh, then I'll, the concern will be. I'd say I have a I have an eye on if he's if he looks better. You're looking in the magnifying glass. Yeah, I'm gonna be paying attention. Gotcha. I always pay attention, but I'm gonna be be like, all right, he needs to take a step forward. Yeah. I think something that got a little swept under the rug was Steven Nagosik. A little golf clap for him. Uh, I was going to mention it, so I'm glad you did. You he looked really good yesterday. He we, great. we needed him because I think you know the bullpen did a pretty solid job this weekend outside of a little Dennis Santana hookup, uh, hiccup. Uh, David Robertson looks really good. John Curtis looks really good. Which John is Curtis exciting. is great. Just that one home run he let up, I think, in game two. Uh, and then Steven Nagosik, we kind of needed him because I don't know what exactly we're getting out of Max Scherzer tonight and the following starters in the next games, but we're going to need our best guys. And I think three and a third from him after Cookie couldn't get it done was huge. He's looked fantastic all season. Yeah. Um, you know, he's finally out of options. And so he didn't get optioned down right. after that because this is what he did that all last, year. last yeah, year. Yeah, he would have yeah. been sent out. So good for him. Uh, he did save the bullpen, saved, you know, the possibility of of the Mets having some some issues with the yeah. back end of their bullpen if, if the game's on the line. So, yeah, just a, a terrific performance, something under the radar. I'm glad you mentioned it. So how are we feeling about the offense after this series where, you know, last series in Milwaukee we were shut out in two games, put out a good effort against Corbin Burns in the finale. They put up nine in the first game, five in the second game, and then two in the last game. The runners in scoring position numbers aren't amazing from this series, but they were able to get it done, get out a series win. What is your temperature right now with this Mets offense? I think uh, I think they're fine. Uh, it's it's Pete Alonso has been doing unbelievable. Yeah. So shout out to him in the middle of the order. 
Um, I thought Lindor looked great up until this series a little bit. He struck out a bunch. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm not worried about him. I think he's going to be great. Uh, it was really nice to see Eduardo Escobar kind of break out a little bit because he hit the ball really well um, this series. That one particular game where he hit the home run, he got yeah. robbed twice. Well, he probably he got robbed in the first hit. That game. Almost got a homer in the second one. And yeah. then if that third one didn't go, like, that would have been. I mean, we saw him show some emotion Absolutely. after the fly out to the warning track because I get it. You know, we couldn't really get anything to go for him. Uh, and that was feeling like it was going to be the game. So thankfully, he got that one over the fence. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Lindor because I think I think it was Gary that brought up a really good point in the last game that Lindor's chase rate is way down this year comparatively to last year. So his walks are up, but he did strike out a lot more in this series. I think he was getting fooled a little bit more, uh, and those numbers have kind of balanced out now. Uh, game two, or it was the home opener, actually, that he hit the home run. That was a nice at-bat there. But, yeah, the story is really Pete Alonso, who's kind of doing his thing and just carrying the Mets' offense right now, providing all the firepower. 11 RBI in the season already, five home runs. Uh, I'm sure the other guys will come around and start picking up the weight, but if you go on their page right now and you look at the numbers, it is Pete Alonso and then it's everybody else. Uh, I love the way Pete's doing it too. That that at bat, who who was pitching when he hit the home run? The which one? The lefty. I uh, was that. It wasn't Brozabon, right? No, it was before Brozabon came in. I think it was. It's um, a fun name to say. They're wearing him out. Uh, yeah, I saw a- your anyway, tweet. Yeah. <laughs> they're wearing. Him. I was like, geez, again. Eighty and games this season. He uh, and like 120 innings from the bullpen. Oh, Castano. Castano. Yeah. So no, was it? I don't remember. Anyway, he was. Lindor was on first. And they came out and talked to him. Castano was the 0-2 home run. That's not the one. It was the 3-2 home run. Gotcha. The starter. I can't remember who it was. I'll get you his name. But it was was, uh, an at-bat where... Rogers. Rogers. Trevor. Yeah, Trevor Rogers. And so he had been... He was really patient and threw out that whole at-bat. He didn't chase. He understood that they're like, all right, there's two outs. We're not going to let Pete Alonso beat us. They even had a pitcher, like the pitching coach came out and it was basically like, don't do anything stupid. But he got ahead. He, You can tell Pete had an idea of what he was looking for. He was looking for a changeup that didn't get executed. He took a really good changeup off the plate away for ball three. Right. And then he hung one, and Pete deposited it into the stands. The kid made an amazing catch. I didn't see the catch. The actually. catch. The, you should look it up because it was uh, the kid was fired up. <laughs> but it was just a beautiful at-bat. He's taking his walks. Uh, he's he's not pressing, trying to make things happen. He's right. letting things come to him and using his power as a big, strong guy to drive the ball to the ballpark when they make a mistake. Totally. Uh, was this when the kid reached over the fence a little bit? Because I think I remember that. Well, there was a little kid that caught the ball. Yeah. It was a, a laser at him, and he just went bananas. That's a tough one to catch. It was. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't, that's going to hurt. Dead center. It's going to hurt if you don't catch it. Uh, yeah, man, he looked great this whole series. I think um, I'm mixing a couple of home runs there, but that's fine. There was a, that's a nice thing, though. There yeah, was a lot of home runs this series, Alonso's which homers. you know has not been the case in prior series. Uh, the Mets got three in that first game, a couple in the second game, which was good. They just couldn't really get the big hit in that last game there. Had plenty of runners on, which is kind of the Mets' story of, of late. They're always threatening. They just need to start getting that big hit going. Uh, but a lot more strikeouts than I think we're accustomed to seeing from this Mets lineup. They had 12 in the game yesterday, including three from Lindor when he went 0 for 5. Um, so that's something that's a, a little cause for concern. But like we said before, really small sample size. It's kind of, you know, we're at the point where we have to overreact to these things or else there's nothing really to talk <laughs> about, if we're being honest. But that's the main takeaway I had. Everyone's getting on base, but, you know, no big hits yet. That's it. They're getting on base. They're doing 
what their their offensive DNA is, is and they're making pitchers work they're making them throw strikes they're getting guys into scoring position and then it's usually they capitalize and they haven't been on a regular clip so it, it, it's hard hitting a baseball is hard so um, I've heard yes so as you know hitting a blitz ball is pretty hard too it's even harder actually no it's not true uh, apple of our eye yeah I'm ready let's do it Jackie you got the sound yeah all right, uh, we got a, we got actually a nice competition, nice few lines here. I think last time it was kind of Alonzo and Lindor felt like the obvious picks. Now we got some starting pitchers in the mix. McNeil had a nice series. Canna quietly had a nice series too, four for ten, a couple doubles. Who you got your eye on? The apple of my eye mm. is the right fielder, and it's Starling Marte. Wow, okay, Starling Marte. He's three for eight, two runs scored, a double, a homer, an RBI, two walks, and a stolen base. Is that only he only had the one stolen base? I believe in the just series? the one. Let's check I it out. I am concerned about the neck moving forward because he has been incredible mm. hitting behind Nimmo. Yeah. Or uh just just stellar. He looks great at the plate. He hasn't done too much. He you can tell he has an idea of what he's doing. And it, it's impressive this early in the season to have a polished approach and being able to execute because it's the first time you're seeing regular pitches guys when it matters uh for him to come out and do what he's done uh it just sets the tone for the for the Mets Nimmo getting on base and then him being able to move him around uh and I just love watching him play he's so dynamic the speed the arm the his ability to just pop a homer when he wants to uh very impressive so Starling Marte is the apple Oh my I like that pick. I wasn't actually expecting that pick. Yeah, me. you thought I would go one of the starters? I think so. Yeah. I thought you would. Um, Marte looks great. He looks really confident on the base paths, which is cool. I mean, he's on pace for like a 50 stolen base season right now, which is incredible. Um, and, you know, he picked his spot in the first inning. I think he caught the Marlins sleeping a little bit in that third game. Stole third, uh, but unfortunately that's why he left the game because I think he caught his head into Gene Segura's knee there. Hopefully he'll be okay. Hopefully we see him batting tonight and no serious injury there. And you kind of leave me with a tougher decision now because do I be that guy and pick Pete Alonso twice in a row? Do I pick one of the starters but not the other because they both did great? Do I, tick, do I pick Brandon Nimmo who went 0 for 10 but had four walks and a hit by pitch? You know, it's very compelling here. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the Apple 2, Tyler McGill for me. Okay, Tyler okay. McGill. Obviously a little biased because, you know, I root for this guy extra hard. <laughs> but I gave it to Senga the first series. I'm going to give it to McGill here because that was a that was an important game. You know, Mets, it was. the Mets have a, a lineage of winning their home openers, winning on opening day, all that. And Tyler McGill, who was supposed to be the Syracuse Mets number one, is now looking like the New York Mets number three, number four. He's looked really great so far this season. And uh, he was facing a Marlins team that honestly hit him kind of well in that first start. You know, he had some great defense behind him, especially the uh, – Lindor play to end the afternoon and save a couple runs. This time he looked way more dominant. You know, he was yielding a lot of soft contact, playing into that defense again, but looked poised, looked in control, especially after that shaky fourth inning and finished strong. And I think that was important because the Mets got pretty poor starting pitching in all three games in Milwaukee and kind of needed a respite for their bullpen, needed a clean afternoon, especially when they finally started scoring some runs with all those walks. McGill gave them exactly what they needed. It was a breath of fresh air. Uh, he's going to get the apple of my eye. I like it. His the the line isn't as impressive as what it felt like because of yep. the need for him to just give you some quality innings to right. give your give the team some breathing room. Um, 
Pete Alonso, that's a big upset, him not getting two it. Home runs, two home runs, five homers. RBIs. Sorry, no Apple that's for you. That's okay. Now. You didn't want to do it back-to-back. That's fine. But, Maybe uh, we'll give McNeil. him like uh, audio jacks like Granny Smith Apple. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, boy, Jack. A mini Yeah, apple. good. <laughs> yeah, so those are the apples. Uh, there is still things to talk about, I think. Uh, Alvarez is someone we actually haven't really talked about at all to this point. Uh, I thought he looked good in the game. Uh, he had really nice frames in game three. He had the RBI single in that first at-bat. Um, how, where are you at right now? Because I was a little disappointed we didn't see him in game one or game two. I understand him not getting the single start because that's brand new pitcher, ghost fork, all that stuff. But I would like to not see him, you know, get benched twice a series. But maybe that's just me. Uh, I'm the same way. Yeah. I want to see him. I want to see his bat in the lineup. That's That's the thing for me. Um, it's tough though, because he can't catch Senga unless he starts catching him in his bullpen sessions, which is rare, especially during the season, but he needs to get the work. He's 21. Yep. Go, go get those reps. Um, Nito needs to lead this team from behind the plate, but Francisco Alvarez's bat could be such a difference maker in a lineup that needs some extra thump. And if, if he's here, might as well get, see what he's got. I, I would like him to play at least two out of three somewhere. Well, I mean, you know, we have this DH spot, which has kind of been floating around. We saw Alonzo fall in there and kind of go to first base. You know, Pham has gotten some playing time against lefties. It felt like a miss to me to not play him against Trevor Rogers, who, you know, has that changeup that misses sometimes that I think is a pitch Alvarez could crush if he gets it. Um, And you kind of were in the spot where we kind of need to throw Alvarez into the pool and let him learn how to swim. Because I think, you know, he had a couple bad swings, especially in the first at-bat. I think he was, you know, pushing for a moment and then settled in, you know, was able to find his pitch. But if you're in a scenario where you're only playing him once every turn of the rotation, he's not going to get acclimated as quickly as you want him to. So I think, you know, giving him some spots against lefties might not be a bad idea. I know it's scary when you put both your catchers in the lineup. Um, But, yeah, I don't know, man. Playing him once in the series didn't sit totally right with me. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen him play the first day. Yeah. Maybe even catch the first game. But uh, it is what it is, man. Uh, I like you put Tommy Pham in there. He hit a homer off Rodgers in the right. in the opening series. He actually played really well. Um, so I understand, you know, you promised this guy's at-bats when you right. signed him. I get it. But Francisco Alvarez has the, the ability to – be a guy to be a dog to carry this lineup. He, yep. He's the he's got the skill set that could carry your team for a month. Uh, so it's hard to see that on the bench, even though he might not be ready for regular playing time behind the dish. You have him on the team. I'd like to see him get some use because, like you said, the runners in scoring position hitting hasn't come, and that's Correct. that's going to be a concern if they can't drive those runners in. But he could do a Pete Alonso and just you know I don't need people on base or who cares that they can't shift i'm just gonna hit the ball into the seats so yeah and i mean this is something we can give time to like let somebody get hot let somebody else click behind pete alonso and then suddenly the lineup looks much better than it did before one thing we don't have as much time for is something i alluded to before because justin verlander is hopefully coming back on the hill very very soon i I just want to touch on alvarez just right before we get to verlander is so narvaez is down eight to nine weeks right yeah so unfortunately that is what it is. But this is a time for Alvarez to get some at-bats knowing that he doesn't have to be amazing in, you know, 
25 at-bats, if you give him two months worth of at-bats, it might let him take a deep breath and, and calm. Yeah. And he doesn't feel the pressure every single time a pitch is thrown to do something amazing. If he knew he was going to get two months worth two months worth of at-bats, maybe he relaxes and gets comfortable in the big leagues. I right. think it would help. Um, but there's some smart people in there making decisions. And it, it, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with if pitchers are comfortable throwing to them. Uh, throwing to him, it, it may or may not be, but I know Nito is very good back there. Right. And if he's going to learn from somebody in between innings, whatever the case may be, I just want to see his bat in the lineup. I will say, when Alvarez was back there and Carrasco was hitting his spots, a lot of those pitch frames looked great. I thought he looked comfortable out there. I thought this was a, if you were going to start him in game three, this was a good starter for him to go first with because yeah. Cookie's. Not going to overpower anybody. You know, he's got a very clear pitch mix. He's been in the game for a while. Everybody kind of knows what they're getting with him at this point. And I think that was good for him to kind of work with a veteran pitcher, you know, get himself acclimated. Whereas even if he's caught McGill and Peterson before, it kind of helps to have somebody else on the other end of the battery that's been there before. Yeah. The, I mean, Singa would be maybe the worst yeah. case scenario, even though he's great at blocking the right. ball. Nito's so good at picking and Senga did spike a lot of pitches that game, he, too. He's going to every yeah. single time. Right. Plus, he has 99 in the mix, and sometimes it sails. Mm. I'm going to want Nito catching Singa. Right. That Every I'm day. okay with. That I totally get. But you can mix him in. Scherzer can call his own game. He can, he can throw the pitch com on. All I want to do is get this kid in the lineup because he could make a difference. Yes. He could take some pressure off of some guys to have to produce um, because he's he's just dynamic. That's that's all I want to say. That's that's it. Totally. Got to give it its fair due. But what do you think of this rotation going forward? I think it's it's worth talking about. We're going to get a very important David Peterson start in the second game of the series, which we'll get to in a little bit. Cookie, we've seen him now for two starts. And then Tyler McGill, who I just gave my apple to and has looked great against the Marlins twice in a row. These are kind of the three guys that we have to talk about when we're talking about what does the rotation look like when JV is finally here. Yeah, so Scherzer has been great except for the sixth inning, basically. Right. Uh, I'm not worried about him. A lot of people are. Because he's kind of tired himself out at at the in the sixth inning. Yeah. Not worried. I, what I've seen from him leading up to that moment, he's looked sharp, swing and miss stuff. Uh, I'm not worried. If he has another blow up in the sixth inning, then I'll my concern will will, will come in. Yeah. But I think he makes the adjustments. He's been doing it his entire Hall of Fame career. Right. Again, not worried about him. Even though his sixth inning has put extra pressure. On David Peterson, right. I am concerned about David Peterson in the short term again because of the instability in, the, in this. It's the same way for McGill that we we're like, man, we need you. We need Peterson to to be able to throw his fastball for strikes. Yeah. That's the key for him. He's he's had sporadic control kind of throughout his career. Last year, he was really good at coming in and being able to th to spot that fastball. I think he'll make the adjustments. I love him in the long term. Yeah. I think he's deserves to be in the rotation all year. I think he's even when if it goes poor again, I think he earned a time or two through the rotation to kind of figure it out. Um but the pressure's on. People are watching. He needs to throw more strikes. Yeah. I mean, it's just the base runners for me with Peterson. It's but he has a two point one whip right now, which is not where you want to be at all. Nine innings, 13 hits, six walks. So it hasn't only been the walks. It's when he's in the zone, he's getting hit. Um, I don't know. It's because he's fallen behind right. and he has to throw it 
over the heart of the plate. I think it's it again. It was for McGill last year. It was fastball command. It's that's the that's the bread and butter for every pitcher being able to put your fastball because it's if the barrel gets to a fastball they're going to put it for damage right and if you can't get ahead then your then your change up your slider becomes almost obsolete because they don't have to swing at it they don't have to trust that it's in the zone because even if you do throw it for a strike they're like oh well he'll have to do it two more times so it all it all starts with david peterson being able to work ahead and throw a fastball in the zone on a corner on a regular basis. Yeah, I think his his game two against the Padres is going to be a start that we should definitely take a really close look at to see if any changes have been made, or if his approach is different at all, uh, because you know it's it's getting dark quickly with he, this Mets rotation. He's avail he's aware of because I listened to his post game. He's like, I got to throw more strikes. Yeah. I got to be able to th- spot my fastball, and that's what Tyler McGill said in his post game. They're like, what was you know what was it? he's like. I threw my fastball for strikes more often and allowed him to go about his game plan versus always working behind. So that's the key. Peterson knows it. Can he make the adjustment? I think he does, but uh, they need him to do it. Yeah, and it's going to be the toughest lineup yet in this matchup with the Padres as they come to town after they took two or three at Truist in Atlanta against the Braves. They looked really, really good. Mets are definitely getting their toughest team of the season. You want to tell me who's going head-to-head? I do. Looking ahead, San Diego series, a three-game set. Game one, it's a good one, a battle of the old men, some gray heads. Max Scherzer, 1-1 with a 6.35, looking to solidify that sixth inning against Hugh Darvish, who's 0-0 with a 1.8 ERA. He's looked really good. Uh, it's a rematch of the wild card game one where the Padres won seven to one. Bad memories. Nelson Cruz, who was hot in mm. Atlanta, is 10 for 27 with a home run against Scherzer. Starling Marte, hopefully his next better, is seven for 17 with a homer against Darvish. I like that matchup. It's going to be one I pay attention to. Darvish versus the Mets last year. He had three games started, went 3-0, and 21 innings pitched, only two earned runs and 12 hits. One walk and 19 strikeouts. He's really liked facing the Mets. Let's hope that recipe has switched. Mm. Game two, the the start we are talking about with David Peterson, who is 0-1 with a 6 going against Ryan Weathers, who's 0-0 with a 3.6. Combined, the Mets haven't really seen him very much. They're 0-3 against him. Marte, Escobar, LeCastro all have one at bat. Padres are combined 2 for 17 against Peterson, so not a lot of familiarity on either side. Mm. Weathers has made two starts since the end of 21. David Peterson has allowed 13 hits and six walks. That's an over two whip that you mentioned earlier in nine innings this year. Let's see if he can bounce back and return to form. Game three, Tyler McGill, big drip, looking great after two starts. He's 2-0 with a 1-6-4 ERA against Blake Snell, a lefty coming in. He's 0-1 with a 7-8-8 ERA. McGill's never faced the Padres. Nelson Cruz has faced him, being a Nationals 1-for-4, Juan Soto 1-for-6, both with homers. Blake Snell versus the Mets in last year, three games. He was the other way to the U Darvish. He's 1-2 with uh, 12 and a third innings pitched, six earned runs on 15 hits, 10 walks, and only 14 Ks. A lot of swing and miss, a lot of miss the zone. That is a recipe for success if you are the New York Mets, and that is the three-game set. Nicely done. It's even better in person, you know? 
It really is. Yeah, a uh, lot to highlight in this series. It's going to be a fun one for sure. Hopefully the Mets can get a little bit of redemption against the Padres. It is that game one rematch in the first game tonight. Uh, Scherzer and Darvish, hopefully Scherzer can you know get some redemption for himself because he was the big story in that game one loss. You Darvish, I don't know what it is that he has against the Mets, but he He's looks nasty. sharp against them all the time. And yeah, when you mentioned we need Marte to be in that lineup tonight because I, I believe he missed game one of the series and came back later. In the wild card series, so yeah, we didn't get he, him. Was, he, was, he was never he was hurt. He you know? was hurt. So, yeah. but um, this is the kind of a deeper seated issue, I think, um, for the Mets in general. So they're really good against teams that are afraid to throw strikes. They make you work, but it's guys like you, Darvish, who mix in a ton of pitches, who throw a ton of strikes, that kind of give fits to the the Mets. Guys like that have power stuff that aren't afraid to to throw it in the zone. Uh, that has been the concern. It's it's your approach to grinding out at bats that's successful versus the long season. It's kind of that that approach that overall you're gonna you're gonna win a lot of ball games that way. It's the big game, the single game where you face a pitcher with power stuff that's not afraid to fill up the zone. Can you do damage? That's why a guy like Francisco Alvarez to me could be a difference maker. Mm. It's why a guy like Pete Alonso is so big in these games. And why the, he gets pitched around uh, in these matchups because they know they can go in and fill the zone against the other guys and make him chase their pitches when Alonzo steps up. So this is a big test for me. These guys that are, uh, I'm kind of sad that we don't get to see uh, Joe Musgrove yeah, come back to New York. Yeah. I, I would like. I'm, I would, I'm okay with it. I'm curious to see the reception <laughs> he would get after the the wild card showing that I he did. A, I have a hunch. I have a hunch what kind of reception. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I like both. I don't blame him because of what he did and and how he the it went about it. anyway. Uh, but yeah, this is the this is the big concern. Can the Mets lineup handle a power pitcher that that fills up the zone? So uh, they're going to get a few of those guys. Uh, Spencer Strider kind of comes to mind. Uh, Max Freed comes to mind. Guys with, you know, Freed doesn't strike out a ton of guys, but the Spencer Strider, I'm just going to throw my fastball, my slider. He's got two good pitches. Luck. Yeah. yeah that's it. So can they? Can their approach be effective against guys that fill the zone? So yeah. we'll, we'll see. I think you nailed it because I think they'll do well in a start against a guy like Blake Snell where they can kind of be patient, you know, work into their approach. And uh, I think, you know, we, we saw the offense come to life a little bit in the first two games of the series. Again, it was through a lot of walks, not a ton of hits with runners in scoring position, and then a few home runs, which was a nice sign. Can that momentum carry over into a red-hot Padres team that's playing really, really well right now, even with old man Nelson Cruz batting fourth, I think, you know, DH and still hitting home runs. Uh, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. They'll be playing at City Field, so they'll have the home field advantage. And, yeah, I got my eye on Game 2 for sure. David Peterson gets probably the, the easiest of the matchups here between Darvish and Snell with Ryan Weathers, uh, a lefty pitcher there. Yeah, I was going to mention he's another lefty. So right. Alvarez will have two chances to be in that lineup as DH yeah. if that's what that's what and you want to do. I'm hoping the Mets give it a shot because I, think I don't think it's a bad idea, especially if you want to get him in there against sort of a power guy like Ryan Weathers who maybe isn't as experienced. You know, it could be a good idea. I'm hoping we see Alvarez for, I'll say, two of these games. Can we just uh, give a nod to Seth Lugo as a starting pitcher you know, for the kind Padres? Of former Met of the episode, yeah, we can say yeah. that. He, uh, he has shined in his first two starts of the year uh, to a 
two and zero record and a one three eight ERA and thirteen innings pitch. That means he's gone six plus. You know, I'm gonna stand by the opinion that I think it's it still wouldn't have worked here if the Mets had brought him back and said, "Hey, be a starting pitcher." I think it. I think it was a change of scenery thing. Yep, I I I don't disagree with yeah. that. I think it was a, a fresh look. Uh, he looks great for everybody, and he looks great. I think it worked out for both. I'm happy for him. Just twirling curveballs. He did. He threw uh, majority curveballs. Yeah. It was like almost a 50-50 Against split. a really good lineup. Like, you know, the first start, I think I was... And a lineup that's seen him a bunch. Yeah. I so. think it was the Rockies he faced in his first start, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. He, They've he went got some seven thump innings, in their lineup, too. One earned run, seven strikeouts against the Rockies at Petco. And then he goes to Truist, and he throws six innings on uh, Sunday Night Baseball. Looks really yeah. good. So good for Seth. Hopefully he keeps it up. We dodged a couple former Mets with Michael Walker too. Michael Walker also looked really good. The Padres might just be <laughs> really good. They are good. We yeah. knew it going in. Um, they've got some some very good talent. So Hopefully we can uh, make some noise then. Make a statement. Make a statement. This is a, this is our true test. We got swept yeah. by the Brewers, who are a solid team. Mm-hmm. This is a better – this is a, a bigger step up. This yeah. is – one of the teams that a lot of people pick to win the World Series. So, make a statement, boys. And I think that's all we got for our nice little in-person episode of Shea Yay. Station. That was fun. Jerry's gonna be doing some other stuff later, guys. So uh, tune in on Jam Baseball soon. You might see his face. Who knows? Let's Still go then. Mets. Let's go Mets. Not to spoil. I've been teasing a lot this episode. Yeah, well, that's what you do. Big Here time tease. teaser. That's what I heard. Big time teaser. <laughs> Let's go Mets. Make a statement. Spike for Audio Jack. Enjoy that one. The only thing he'll have to edit <laughs> on your audio. 